So to me, compassion looks like connection with somebody um, in some way, even if it's not a one-on-one or personal connection. Um, I think compassion is more than um, just giving something to somebody or a handout to me that's charity. And to me, charity and compassion, they're both good, but they're different. Um, And as I was thinking about it, I thought about it kind of in the same way as um, like religion versus a relationship with Christ where um, neither one is bad. They're both good. They're both important and necessary. But religion is um, something um, that doesn't require the same level of connection that relationship does. And so to me, compassion is that relationship. And um, sometimes it's just through like shared interest or shared experience or something um, that you feel strongly about, but um, it requires the heart um, to be involved in some way. It also requires cultivating a non-judgmental attitude, fostering a sense of connection with others and being willing to help others. I was in Walmart with my aunt and uncle one time in Woodland, and I don't know, I was going through like a really hard time, and like nobody really knew that. And then this guy... He, like, just walked up to us and was like, can I talk to you guys about Jesus? And we were like, sure. And, like, I don't know, he, like, read us a couple verses and then kind of, like, preached on those verses to us. It was nice. And, yeah, and then he hugged me. It was really weird, but it was nice <laughs> at the same time. Everybody. I have not come across anybody in my lifetime that sometime in their life has not needed compassion from their fellow man or woman. Everybody. All of us. Like, everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs compassion. If you can find someone and lead them to salvation, I don't know what more of a compassion that you could give. Because you're not only giving them hope for the current life, but hope for life after. We need to be asking God to show us where we can be compassionate. Okay, we are continuing on in our Embodied Compassion series that we started last week. Um, and I'm, I like to give recaps because I think it's helpful. Repetition, repetition, repetition helps you remember things. Um, so I just want to cover the, some of the basics of last week as we uh, together figured out this um, kind of common understanding of what compassion is and this compassion as this defining trait of who God is. Um, compassion, if you remember, is the first trait that God reveals about himself um, to humanity in general, but specifically to Moses um, on Mount Sinai. And compassion, as this initial um, character trait that God reveals, it really kind of undergirds every part of who God is and how God interacts with humanity. It is a defining characteristic. And compassion, it comes from, if you remember, the Hebrew uh, word that means female womb. Um, so God is describing his disposition for humanity as this love and care and just um, overwhelming sense of, of love and care for um, a child, for a baby that a mother has for her baby. Compassion is this deep and emotional thing. It is, it is translated often as deeply moved or deeply stirred, and it is kind of this thing that burns within a person. And I would say it, it burns within all of us. It's just something that we have to, to continue to foster in ourselves. Um, 
But God's disposition for humanity is defined by this, that God is always for humanity. God cares for humanity. God hears humanity. God listens and God acts and God responds. God is deeply moved and always gives us his attention and his affection. Um, and compassion, the, the literal translation of the Latin word is to suffer with. Um, so it's more than just this feeling. It's more than just a way of thinking. It's more than just um, kind of understanding what somebody's going through or, um, or wanting to, to help them, but it's actually doing something about it, right? It's entering into that suffering with them. It is offering a way to alleviate this pain and this suffering. So God's compassion consistently kind of sums up his, his faithful commitment and care for a humanity that, that oftentimes turns their back on him, um, outright disobeys him, and uh, makes him out to be the bad guy in many situations. And this compassion is revealed in no greater way than in the person of Jesus Christ. God cared enough about you. God cared enough about me. God cared enough about all of humanity that even while we were sinners, even while we were turning our backs on him and stabbing him in the back, God sent his only son to suffer, to suffer with us and to suffer for us so that we might return to that right relationship with God. So Christ entered into this broken and this sinful world as the embodiment of God's compassion, the embodiment of God's womb, this love and care for humanity. God with us, Emmanuel, right? And so this series is obviously grounded in compassion as it is a character trait of God, but it is also grounded in um, what that means for us. And how we can, can not only um, receive that compassion, but embody that compassion and be that compassion to the world around us. We're going to look at stories of Jesus and how Jesus interacted with crowds, with individuals, um, even a, a parable that Jesus told. But it's, we're going to look at what compassion looks like in the life of Jesus and how Jesus embodied that and what that means for all of us as we hope to be more like Christ. Um, compassion is not just a feeling. Compassion is an action. And so hopefully all of us can commit to, over the next now five weeks, growing a little bit more in compassion, in the compassion of Christ. Um, would you stand with me, even those of you at home, would you stand with me as we honor the word of God by reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. It's a short one. You don't have to stand for very long. I forgot I'm in charge of that. There we go. Okay. Jesus traveled among all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, announcing the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were troubled and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the size of the harvest is bigger than you can imagine, but there are few workers. Therefore, plead with the God of the harvest to send out workers for his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I, I want to start um, with a story, a story um, that's all the way back in the year of 1952. Some of you may remember that. I do not. Uh, in 1952, a man by the name of Everett flew from Chicago, Illinois 
all the way to Korea. And some of you um, might realize that the the timing of this, the Korean War was taking place. Um, Everett was a preacher, and he was going to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to the troops um, that knew nothing about Jesus. And he was he was very excited. Um, but he's going in the middle of winter. It's very cold, kind of like today. Uh, but he gets to the house that he's going to be staying at, and he, he lays his coat down, and there's a little kid nearby um, that just snatches up his coat and runs off. And again, Everett is he's from Chicago, so he, he knows crime. Um, he, he chases after this little kid, um, and he, th- think kind of Aladdin, but little kid, running through the, the streets here. Um, he knows all of the secret pathways and stuff. So even though Everett's an adult, he's chasing this child. He should catch him. Um, he, he ends up, he finally, after a, a long chase, he finally ends up going around a corner. He's like, okay, I've got him now. He goes around the corner and the kid is just gone. But he sees his, his coat laying on the ground. And so he picks up his coat. And underneath his coat, there is a child. Um, and he starts to look around, and there's, there's all of these rags and, and just tattered linens strewn about. And he realizes that under each one of them is a child. He had come upon this kind of makeshift orphanage where all of these kids, their parents had died in the Korean War. And so naturally, I would say all of us in this situation would feel some kind of compassion for these children, Right? He feels this, this deep pain. He is, he is deeply moved and deeply stirred by these children and their situation. And so he comes back later that night. He feeds them some soup. Um, but he couldn't sleep the whole, that whole night. And so as soon as the sun comes up, he, he goes back. And, and he comes across these soldiers that are there. Um, they're not harassing the children or anything like that. But they're just they're checking to see um, how many of them survive the night. I did not expect to get emotional there. Um, and the ones that did not make it through the night, they load onto this cart and take off to, to, whoever, to wherever. And so Everett leaves this, this situation. He leaves this, this place where he has felt this deep compassion, this deep feeling for children who, who don't have a home, who don't have anyone to look after them. And as he is flying home, he hears the, the drone of the engine of the airplane. And to him, it sounds like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And he doesn't know. But he goes, he gets home and, and he's, he's been praying about this. He goes to a friend that he knows who's a, a businessman. And he tells him the story. And the, the man opens the top drawer of his desk and hands him a check for $1,000. And it, it, it wasn't made out to anyone. But this man tells him that years earlier, the Holy Spirit had told him, you are going to take care of the widows and the orphans. And when someone tells you about a need, you can then fill that need. And so he takes that check and he writes Everett's name on it. My goodness, Sheldon, come on now. Um, that was the beginning of an organization many of us have probably heard of called Compassion International. Um, but this today and and this series is not about compassion international but it's about what Everett experienced in that moment and what his friend experienced in that moment and and that is this idea of compassion 
and how compassion moves us forward. Compassion moves us to action. Compassion is not just the feeling, but it is taking that next step. So our passage this morning, um, it opens with some words that are actually repeated from earlier in Matthew, from chapter 4 of Matthew, verse 23, um, almost verbatim repeated. And it speaks to this kind of summary of what Jesus has been up to, right? It says that he's been traveling around these cities and these villages in Galilee, and he's been doing it all for a purpose, right? He's been doing it all, teaching in their synagogues. He's been announcing the good news of Jesus Christ, um, of the Messiah, of the kingdom of God, and he is healing every disease and every sickness. But notice that it doesn't say that Jesus is just going and visiting all of the richest cities and visiting all of the kings and, and the royalty of that time. No, Jesus is going around to all of the towns and all of the cities, all of the villages. There's no exclusivity to the ministry of Jesus. Um, and Jesus is a, a busy guy, right? There's, there's a lot of things to do when you are out on mission. Um, he's traveling around to a lot of different places. And as he traveled, he is essentially taking his ministry to people. He is not waiting for them to come to him. The ministry of Jesus is, is active. It is, it is mobile. It is, he is on mission, right? He's not just waiting for them to follow or to come to him. And as he's doing this, um, again, Matthew kind of summarizes the last, I don't know, five to six chapters. Um, he summarizes what Jesus has been doing in those stories. He has been teaching in their synagogues, announcing the good news of the kingdom of God and healing every disease and every sickness. So these activities are very key to the ministry of Jesus. And I would say are still key to what we do as the body of Christ now. Um, More on that in a minute. But first, Jesus is teaching in the synagogues, right? He is a student of the scriptures. The scriptures are a part of him, right? The the scriptures, uh, they are his story. They are the story of of his family going back generations, but they also foretell of this Messiah that he himself is. So Jesus knows these scriptures front to back, right? And and earlier in Matthew, Jesus um, says not that he has come to abolish the law and prophets, but to fulfill them. Um, He has come to fulfill everything that is said about him, that is said about the Messiah. So Jesus not only is... He doesn't just know these scriptures, but he is living these scriptures. They are a part of who he is, and he is teaching them to the synagogues. It's off, it would often look like um, him saying, as, as we see in a different um, part of the Gospels, of him saying, right, these are, this is what this says, and I am here to fulfill this. That is what his teaching would have looked like. The second, Jesus is announcing the good news of the kingdom. He's not just teaching about the scripture, but he's letting them know that the kingdom of God is here. It's right here. It's right now. The kingdom of God is good, right? Much of what makes up this good news of the kingdom of God, as Matthew records it, is, is kind of in the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount that we come to, have come to know it by. But Jesus is preaching passionately about the, the liberation that God and the kingdom of God brings, so rather than kind of a freedom from taxes or um, certain legal penalties, um, which rulers of that day would have, have offered when they came into um, the reign of a kingdom, Jesus is proclaiming this freedom from sin, from the guilt and the power that sin has 
over humanity. So Jesus is announcing the good news of the kingdom of God. And lastly, Jesus is healing every disease and every sickness. He's not just coming to tell wonderful words to the people of God. He's not just coming to be this great teacher and preacher. Jesus is coming to meet the very tangible needs of the people. And we're going to be talking about this a lot more again over the rest of this series. But Jesus is going from town to town, going from village to village, to all of these groups and crowds of people, and not just talking at them. He's not just telling them what the kingdom of God is going to be like. He is embodying that. He is showing them what the kingdom of God is like, showing them the love and the care and the compassion that God has for them. Jesus is about action. Jesus is not just announcement and teaching and preaching, but Jesus is the hands and feet of God's compassion. He embodies it. What causes Jesus's deep compassion, though, at this point is not just this abundance of physical need and sickness that he has seen or, or hungry or hunger or poverty that he sees amongst the people. What causes Jesus compassion is, as we see here, great spiritual need that they have. Their lives have no center. Their lives, no have, their lives have um, no purpose or fulfillment right? Their existence is, is somewhat aimless. They are lost. And I think we see this in our world today. I think we see this oftentimes. Um, it's easier for us to, to look a generation down and see this, right? But I think we see this across the generations, that there is a yearning for meaning, for purpose, for fulfillment, for finding who you are, for being satisfied. But Jesus is traveling across all these cities. He's teaching in the synagogues. He is announcing the good news of the kingdom of God and healing every disease and sickness. And this, again, this summarizes the last five chapters of Matthew, um, where Matthew has given many, many examples of this powerful and authoritative word of Jesus and action of Jesus. But our passage this morning is, is more than just a summary of what has happened, but it's kind of a transition into what is coming and an introduction into what is coming. And I think this is where a lot of us probably find ourselves, right? We, we have heard the words. We have maybe experienced the goodness of God. We know certain things about what the Bible says, but it's another, it's another challenge. It's another step to take that. And and for that to actually mean something in our lives, to take action in our lives, to take root in our lives, We have to take what we know about God and God's compassion for others, and we have to actually do something about that. Surrender to God's way of doing that and embody that compassion. And here, our passage kind of moves to this very specific scenario where Jesus sees the crowds, and it says that he has compassion on them. He is deeply stirred. He is deeply moved by them. And undoubtedly, Jesus has had compassion on all of these groups of people that he has encountered prior to this, right? That he has been teaching and preaching and healing. But with this crowd, Matthew specifies that Jesus has compassion on them because they were troubled and helpless. There's lots of different translations of, of these words, lost, harassed, um, scattered, weary, our translation, troubled and helpless. And this reasoning is kind of expounded upon in the next line that we may have heard or um, may remember from other parts of scripture, actually. It says that they are like sheep without a shepherd. 
And this sheep and shepherd imagery is used quite a bit throughout scripture, and it would have been a fairly common metaphor of that time. Um, Essentially, sheep are not the brightest animal, right? And not that they are uh, just completely dense, but they are very dependent. And so that would oftentimes lead them into trouble because they would, they would follow one of their friends or, or they would, they would go away from their shepherd because they are just sheep. Um, and they would get themselves lost. They would, uh, they would flip themselves upside down or, um, and sheep, if you know, are unable to get back on their feet if they are turned upside down, kind of like a turtle, uh, but what this, what this says about sheep is that sheep are always in need of a shepherd to protect them, to guide them, to direct them, to lead them into the kind of life that is healthy. And it's this compassion that Jesus looks at the crowd with. The compassion that we talked about last week of this love and care and attention and affection that a mother has for her child or that a shepherd has for his sheep, that they are helpless, that they are completely dependent upon the shepherd. Jesus sees them through this lens that they are sheep who are lost. They are sheep who need a shepherd. And the ones who are supposed to be kind of these shepherds for the people would have been the religious leaders of that day. So this is somewhat of an indictment on the religious leaders. Um, they're not living up to their calling. They're not living up to the, what it means to be a shepherd of the sheep. And so this sheep and shepherd metaphor that Jesus uses, it sort of creates a hyperlink back to multiple other spots in scripture. But specifically, um, later in Matthew chapter 18, verses 12 through 14, I'm going to read that for us. What do you think? If a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of your father in heaven that one of these little ones should be lost. So the compassion of Jesus that is grounded in this holy love and care for the people is that of a shepherd. The compassion of Jesus pursues those who are lost, those who have stepped outside of the watch of the shepherd. And it is this compassion that took Jesus to the cross. It's this compassion that Jesus embodied in coming to earth. Jesus is that true shepherd of the flock who lays his life down for the sake of the lost sheep. And again, Jesus does something with his compassion, right? Last week we talked about how this Hebrew word translates as mother's womb. Um, And I'm not going to try to pronounce the Greek word um, because it's real complicated. There's a lot of syllables, but in a similar fashion, the Greek word is translated as guts or more uh, explicitly bowels. In the, the old King James version, it was, it was called bowels of compassion. And in all of the rest of Greek literature, this word is used as a noun It's a thing that you feel. It's something that you have, right? You have compassion. You feel compassion. And Jesus is the only one in all of Greek literature that that turns this word, takes this word that is a noun and turns it into a verb, right? Jesus doesn't just have compassion. Jesus shows compassion. Jesus doesn't just have compassion. He embodies it. He lives it out. He takes it from just a feeling or something uh, that that is deep in his gut or in his bowels or in his womb, and he lives it out, right? Jesus 
Jesus heals, he feeds, he meets the needs, the very physical and tangible human needs of those around him. But if this is our full picture of Jesus as, as one who just says good things and tells people to live their lives nicer and to kind of meet, meet some of the needs of the people. If that is our full picture of Jesus, I think we're cutting Jesus a little bit short because Jesus is more than that. And the reason I wanted to, I know last week is when I really started, but the reason I wanted to start with this story of Jesus and how Jesus embodied the compassion of God is because it speaks to this deep need that all of us have that is common for all of humanity. And that is that we are all in need of a savior. We are all sinners. We've all been selfish. We've all done things that have hurt others. We've all failed to do what is right or what leads ourselves and others into right, good, and true lives. We all fall short, right? We all need a savior. We all need a shepherd, But what Jesus is doing here is he's calling for his disciples to embody that compassion that he himself has embodied because compassion is kind of this, this fuel for the mission of Jesus. He says to his disciples, the size of the harvest is bigger than you can imagine, but there are few workers. Jesus sees the depth of human need as an opportunity. He sees it as this harvest that is plentiful. Harvest is a good thing, right? It, it yields good things. And this harvest was not just okay. This harvest was abundant. It was plentiful. What Jesus seems to be saying here is that there are many sheep who are away from their shepherd, right? There are many people who are, are ready to believe in Jesus and be welcomed into this kingdom of heaven. And as the great shepherd, Jesus understands that this is their greatest need, that more than, than just needing food for the day, more than just needing a sip of water, while, while vital to their livelihood, more than all of that and more than all of our needs, we all need a savior. We all need a shepherd. This is how we can ever hope to be saved and rescued from this harassed and helpless situation and condition that we have is to be given this peace and love and joy and hope of the father. But this harvest also needs laborers, right? It needs people to work the harvest. A good harvest can just go to waste if nobody actually does anything about it. If nobody actually takes advantage of it and, and gathers it in, right? Opportunities to, to meet human need and to bring people into the kingdom can be wasted, can be squandered because there is a shortage of laborers. Jesus closes this interaction by calling his disciples to plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers for his harvest. So Jesus observes this helplessness and this need of the crowds, and he realizes that he needs help. Not help in the sense that, as God, he is unable to do it, right? Jesus obviously believed in God's um, omnipotence that God that God can make a way when there's no way, but he also believed that human laborers, you and me, are vital to the ministry of compassion, to the ministry of grace. Jesus knows that he needs help in the sense that he, as this man traveling from town to town, village to village, preaching, teaching, healing, 
He can only do so much. He can only meet so many needs and point so many people to God. And so if he is this good worker, imagine how much more could be done in the world with the good workers around him of his disciples. And that is kind of what this transition is here of this passage. It is, it is Jesus saying like, right. He has, he has done all of these things. He has um, healed the sick. He has, he has found food and, and water for the hungry. He has done all of these things. He has taught all of these things and he needs help. He is asking for help. And it is this transition from what Jesus has done to now what the disciples are going to do in their ministry of compassion alongside Jesus. He, he urges his disciples now to plead with God, to, to pray earnestly that God would send out laborers into the harvest because so many are ready to hear the good news of the kingdom. And I think that this is not just something that happened way back when that we can say, we can read it and say, Oh yeah, there were a lot of people that needed Jesus back then. This is, I hope very obvious to you that it is true of us today. The harvest is plentiful. We are at a, an incredibly unique point in history. And I like statistics. So I'm going to share with you some statistics, um, from Barna. Uh, they, they do a whole lot of research, um, and, and specifically research around um, the church and young people and all of that. So I'm going to share with you some statistics um, that kind of point to this recognition that there is still a harvest that is plentiful. There is still the need for good workers, for good laborers to come to harvest um, what what has been prepared. So this one, it shows... It's, it's titled, U.S. Teens' Motivation to Continue Learning About Jesus. The question is, throughout the rest of your life, how motivated are you to continue learning more about Jesus Christ? And if you see, um, this is teenagers, ages 13 to 17. Um, the percentage of those who are very motivated is incredibly high. Uh, it's, but if you combine that with the somewhat motivated, so all of those who have any kind of of motivation to continue to learn about Jesus. It is over 50%, especially among those um, committed Christian teenagers. What this shows is that, that teenagers are wanting to learn more about Jesus. This next one is more than just teenagers. This is specifically about adults um, who are open to spirituality. So I believe in God or a higher power, 77%. I would like to grow spiritually 74%. And I am more open to God today than I was before the pandemic, 44%. These are folks who are desiring to know more about this higher power, who are wanting to grow in their spiritual awareness and, and what that means for them. And this last one is, it's titled a rising spiritual hunger in the United States. And, and I'll let you look at this one. I won't read through all of it, but it has it broken down by generation. And what, what I hope these statistics help you realize is that we are not living in this age where, like, you know what, everybody's just forgotten about God and don't care about God. There, there is certainly some of that in our world. But what this points to is that, that even though that is kind of the, the common thought process for a lot of us, the reality is that that people are, are searching for something. People are searching for 
something in life, this purpose, this meaning, this fulfillment, this satisfaction of life, the harvest is plentiful. And Jesus sends his disciples out into this work. Not specifically this work, but into the work of finding those who are lost, finding those who are are ready to be made aware of the kingdom of God and what that means for their lives. And from this point on in the book of Matthew, the disciples are partnering with Jesus in that ministry. Jesus has invited them into this teaching and preaching and healing And their work is motivated by this compassion for those who are harassed and helpless and scattered and lost. But in this moment, and what I really want us to to hone in on today is that Jesus knows what has to be done before all of that. We see numerous times in scripture that Jesus places this very high value on prayer and relationship with the Father. And this is another example of how vital Jesus believes prayer is to anything of life. Prayer is, it's not just Jesus saying, you know, like, pray for this, and then you don't have to do anything about it. Prayer prayer is not this substitute for good workers. Prayer is the foundation. Because it reminds us that we're not in control, that we're not in charge, that we don't get to say, right, Oh, I'm, I'm just going to take it easy today. The work of the harvest is not done without prayer. Prayer is this submission to one whose ways are greater than our ways, who knows and cares far more deeply than we do. The harvest belongs to God. We are simply to pray that he would compel workers in his harvest. We are to pray that that God would send out these laborers and we have to be ready when God calls us because praying for God to send the workers out is pretty risky because it, it means that we are open to the idea that God's going to say, how about you do something about it? As followers of, of Jesus and disciples of Christ, we, we pray not that Uh, that this person and this person and this person would go be nice to those people or would go help those people. We pray that God would send the workers out and specifically that we would pray with an ear open to to him saying, you go out into the harvest because the needs are truly great and the workers are few. The world needs more of those who are willing and prepared to share the good news of the kingdom of God not just in word, but in deed. To share the news that in spite of plenty of evidence to the contrary, the the world can and will look like the kingdom of God that Jesus points to in Matthew. The prayer for workers is directed to and answered by the church across all generations. In the book of Matthew to today and into the future, the church is the answer to this need for workers. And so as we close today, I, I want us to, to pray. We're going to take the words of Jesus seriously. And we are going to pray. As simple as that. And if you need a direction to pray, pray that God would send out new workers, right? That he would call them and place them in the right situations to make a difference, to point people to Jesus. And specifically that if it is us, and I, I guarantee you that at some point, 
it is you. That God would make it just so clear to us, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that we are the workers of the harvest and where we are called to step in to teach people about the kingdom of God, to proclaim the kingdom of God, and to meet the real, physical, tangible needs of others. Let's pray that that God would burden us and would burden countless others with his compassion so that we can be ready to do the work of the harvest. So we're going to spend the next five-ish minutes um, just in prayer, praying for the workers praying for God to reveal to the workers where the harvest is at and how to step into that and praying with that ear open for God to say, you do this. This is where you are called to go. This is what you are called to say. So let's pray.